Welcome to the King's Word Bible Study. Today our topic is going to be sacrificing ourselves. Let's begin today in Luke chapter 9. In Luke chapter 9, beginning in the 18th verse, it says, And it came to pass, as he was alone praying, his disciples were with him. And he asked them, saying, Whom say the people that I am? They answering said, John the Baptist. But some say Elijah, and others say that one of the old prophets is risen again. He said unto them, But whom say ye that I am? Peter answering said, The Christ of God. And he straightly charged them and commanded them to tell no man that thing, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things, and be rejected of the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be slain, and be raised the third day. And he said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, and take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. For what is a man advantaged if he gain the whole world and lose himself, or be cast away? Verse 24 told us, For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. This verse is trying to teach us about sacrifice, the most fundamental part of Christianity. If Christianity could be boiled down to one word, it would be sacrifice. Sacrifice is something that the natural mind doesn't like. It wants nothing to do with it. But yet God calls us to sacrifice, not just someone or something in our life, but our life itself. To the natural mind, that's far too drastic of a call. That's far beyond the pale of what feels reasonable or what it feels like it's capable of doing. So the natural mind fortifies itself against sacrifice to resist any urge that we may have to do it. It's a battle for people to do it. It's never something that comes easy. Because it's not so much that we're fighting against the enemy, although that's true. It's really the case that we're fighting against ourselves and our thoughts and our natural inclinations. But we have to take a closer look at sacrifice and see what it really entails and how it's done. The devil sees that our natural mind is so set against it, and he capitalizes on that, distorting how we look at it and think about it, which in the end only serves to harm and weaken us as believers. The first thing we need to do is note the word lose. It said, For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. This is the fear of the natural mind. It doesn't want to lose. It only wants to gain. But even deeper than the fear of losing is the fear that lurks behind it, which is a fear of not being able to regain what's lost. If the natural man felt he could get back later what he forfeits now, there'd be far less resistance to sacrifice. But it's the suspicion that they'll never get it back that keeps them from doing it. We know, as the people of God, that what we lose here on this earth, we don't actually lose. It's just a temporary forfeiting. God's promised this. Mark chapter 10, verses 29 to 30 say, And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels, but he shall receive a hundredfold. Now in this time, houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and the world to come eternal life. God promises to give it back with interest, but it's hard for the natural mind to see that because it feels like it has no evidence to go off of. The redeemed mind has faith, which allows it to have the capacity to see past what we see in the natural, but it's still our job to use that capacity for what it's worth. Sacrifice is inherently an act of faith. We're giving up something to God, entrusting it to Him and to His care, which isn't easy. Abraham brought Isaac up to the mount and was about to sacrifice him to God. 
No part of that was simple. That was the hardest thing he ever had to do. But he was doing it in faith, which is what allowed him to look past all the reservations that the natural mind would feel. And he knew that God had a plan, even if his carnal mind wasn't able to see it. He was resisting the urge to indulge in the fear of never being able to regain. We know that fear is the opposite of faith, and we know that where faith isn't leading our faults and actions, fear will. And that's what keeps so many people back from sacrificing. They give in to what their fear tells them. Fear says you'll never get it back. Fear says you'll be worse off for it. Fear says you'll waste what you have. But all of these are lies. But the fear only serves to reinforce them, whereas our faith is able to see past them. It sees them for what they really are, just distractions designed to keep us back from doing the will of God. Abraham's decision to sacrifice his son to the Lord, in spite of all that his natural mind felt in that moment, shows something else that's required for sacrifice. Along with faith, we need trust. The way around the fear of not regaining is trusting that the Lord meant what he said and that he'll perfectly keep his promise. Trust isn't like love. It's not something that's freely given. It's something that's earned over the course of time through experience. The deeper we grow with God, the more we're able to trust and the more readily we should be willing to sacrifice. The more times that we can look back on and see that God kept his word, the more reason we have to trust in the future with no reservations. God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes, which is why we're able to trust in Him. When we use the faith that God's already implanted in our spirit, with the trust that we built up over time, we have no reason not to sacrifice. When we don't, we're just indulging in what become irrational fears, because those fears run contrary to what we know to be true from our own first-hand experience. If God always provided for us when we sacrificed before, and always blessed us with hundredfold return before, why wouldn't he do the same again? Of course he will. He always will. But we had to make the conscious decision to not let the enemy or our carnal mind distract us from what we know to be true, using loss as a distraction from gain. It's a biblical principle that if we want to gain, if we want to find, we first have to be willing to lose, and that's a principle that's only reinforced and amplified in the idea of sacrifice. There's unlimited gain available if we'll just forfeit the little that we have now. But what exactly are we called to sacrifice? The level of sacrifice that God calls for in verse 24 is astounding. It said, Whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. This is calling for the sacrificing of our life. Many, most notably the martyrs throughout history, have fulfilled this call literally in the physical sense, whereas many more have fulfilled it in a different way. They've lost their life by completely submitting it to God and to the things of God. They chose to live for Him who died for them. The word used for life in this verse is referring to the soul in the Greek. The soul is the mind, will, and emotions. They've submitted their way of thinking to God, their feelings and emotions to God, their decision-making to God, and allow Him to control every aspect of their lives, which shows another fear that keeps people from sacrificing. They're afraid of losing their ability to be self-autonomous and self-governing. Man wants to be in control. Man wants to make his own decisions, thinking his own thoughts, indulging his own feelings. But God calls for us to lay these things down on the altar before Him as an offering, allowing Him to take control. Isaiah chapter 55 verses 8-9 to tell us, For my faults are not your faults, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. 
We should sacrifice these things to God because He knows better than we do what's best for us. That's hard for many to do because then they feel like they can't predict outcomes anymore, which the devil uses to only reinforce their inherent fear of the unknown. We can see through this that the devil just compounds fear upon fear, which is why, despite what the carnal mind would have you to think, sacrifice is the perfect antidote because it's an act of faith. And as we know, faith and fear can't coexist. One must of necessity yield to the other. And when we sacrifice in faith, trusting and leaning on God, the fear won't be able to survive. Beyond the fears that we just looked at, there's another fear, which for many is far more concerning. The concordance also says for the word life, that it means a person's distinct identity, unique personhood, individual personality. This is really what the natural man fears losing above all. He doesn't want to lose himself, which is evident if we pay close enough attention to the hesitations that people show before they come to Christ. Their hesitation is never rooted in what they'll gain. It's always rooted in what they think they're going to lose. You'll hear people say that they'll never be able to be themselves again. They'll never be able to have fun again. They'll never be able to think the same way or feel the same way again. They won't be able to make the same decisions anymore, and they won't be able to behave in the same way. It's all predicated on loss in their mind, which shows that they feel like coming to Christ would mean losing themselves. So what do we as Christians make of that? How do we respond when someone shows these fears? How do we reassure them? The fact of the matter is that we do lose ourselves when we come to Christ. That's actually the whole point of it. But what unbelievers have to be aware of is that we're not actually losing our true personality. We're not losing who we are as a person. We're losing our distorted view of our personality. We're losing and forfeiting the carnal, corrupted, sinful side of our personality. The part of us that if we took an honest, hard look inside, we would realize we didn't really want anyway. We do this so that we can get to what lies underneath, the redeemed side of our nature. We shouldn't be surprised that people are slow or reluctant to give even the natural side up, because that's all they've ever known. We're asking them to take a leap of faith. That's no small change. It's drastic. But our job is to show them the return, the hundredfold blessings, the new, better, eternal nature that lies right underneath the one they're holding on to so desperately. Because it's exposure to that knowledge that softens the heart, it tills the ground, preparing them to receive salvation, it builds trust, which is necessary to sacrifice. While the devil gets them to continually focus on loss, leaving them in an echo chamber of thoughts that seem to confirm their worst fears, our job is to highlight all the gain, all the benefits, all the joys that come from sacrificing to God, reminding them of what lies on the other side of their sacrifice. Let's go to Matthew chapter 16. In Matthew chapter 16, beginning in the 21st verse, it says, From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and be raised again the third day. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan, thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? 
Here we find a parallel passage to the one that we saw earlier in Luke chapter 9. Verse 25 told us, just like in verse 24 before, For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. We need to take a closer look at the word lose that we highlighted earlier. The true meaning of it goes a little deeper than the way that we commonly understand it. The word for lose in the Greek means to utterly destroy, to kill, to cut off entirely. This is beyond what we normally think of when we think of losing. The first thing we had to note is just with a normal, ordinary understanding of losing, we know that no one would ever willingly lose something. That would make no sense. And then when we go even further and say that we had to willingly destroy something, something like our life, our self, our soul, that makes no sense at all to the natural man. Why would God tell us to do such a thing? What does it even mean to destroy our life? That's wording that's reminiscent of self-destructive, self-detrimental, self-sabotage type of thinking. What does that actually mean in a spiritual sense? Romans 12 and 1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Our entire lives are to be a sacrifice, every aspect submitted fully to God. But how does that happen? It happens by destroying the self, the carnal side of our life. It means every time that the carnal mind tries to assert itself over our spirit, every time the natural mind tries to tell us that we should follow our own will instead of God's, we rebuke it and resist it. It means we force it to submit to the will of God. Over time, that weakens the carnal side, which makes it easier to get it to comply. So what does it actually look like? As John the Baptist said in John 3 and 30, He must increase, I must decrease. That's what it looks like. That's how it's done. It's decreasing the self, decreasing the focus, the emphasis on the self. And that's done by putting more focus on God, taking a step back and letting God live in you and through you. That's the only way that happens. In a truly sacrificial life, people see more of God in your life than they see you in it. Is that what people see when they look at us? Do they see the Spirit of Christ within us? Do they see the mind of Christ working in our life? A true sacrifice inside manifests on the outside. It's not something that we can hide. We destroy the self, the old nature, so that God and the new nature can take its place. We have to destroy the old ways of thinking, the old desires, the old way that we would choose what to do. We have to get rid of those old parts of our personality that only served to hold us back and prevented us from being the best versions of ourselves. We don't want people to see us when they interact with us, especially unbelievers. We want them to see Jesus. And the only way that that can ever happen is if we become willing to lose ourselves so that we can find Him which in itself reveals something even deeper about this. Sacrifice is the mechanism that God uses to draw us closer to Him. It's the mechanism through which He reveals Himself to us in increasingly deeper ways. It's been said that you can have as much of God as you want, either a little or a lot, and that's true, and it's based off of how much you're willing to sacrifice. It's proportional. With whatsoever measure you meet, therewith shall it be measured unto you. That applies to this too. How much are you willing to put on the line for God? Some people put a lot, and some don't, and we see that reinforced in the next verse. The next verse, if only taken at face value, seems odd because it almost seems to contradict the verse right before it. Verse 25 tells us to be willing to lose our soul, and then verse 26 says, 
For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his own soul? We know that the word of God never contradicts itself. So what's the Lord actually saying here? The first thing we need to note is that there's two different words that translate as lose. In English, it's the same word, but in Greek, there's two different ones. The word lose used in this verse means to damage, to suffer loss, to fine, punish, to forfeit. That's vastly different than the word lose that we saw before. This isn't talking about destroying. It's talking about damaging. Destroying is complete. Damaging is partial. So what does that mean for us? He's saying, what's the point of just suppressing or damaging the carnal side of our life when we can destroy it and root it out? Why would it survive and come to the surface controlling us when it doesn't have to? The next thing we have to ask ourselves when it comes to this is why would a Christian who desires to do the will of God do this? Why would they only damage the carnal side and not destroy it? The first reason is comfort. It's uncomfortable to sacrifice so completely. And over time, we become comfortable with the carnal side of our life, so we don't do it. The second reason is fear. We want to hold some level of control, and we're afraid to take our hands completely off the wheel. And the third reason is, there's still a part of us that desires to see our will done instead of God's. All of these things serve to show us one important truth that we can learn from this. What people really do when they give into these lies is that they're attempting to hold something back from God. They're trying to hold themselves back, not giving the entirety of their life over to the Lord. When God gives gifts to His children, He never holds anything back. That's how God operates, and He expects us to do the same when we sacrifice to Him. Because when we give all, it prepares us to receive all from Him. The last thing we need to ask ourselves is why does God even ask for us to sacrifice in the first place? Why is sacrifice even a part of the conversation? The unbeliever might think, if God is such a good, great, generous God, why wouldn't He just freely give all of Himself to people without them having to give anything of their own? The reason is that sacrifice shows what a person values. You can always tell what a person values in their life by how much they're willing to give up for it. If a person values and loves God, they'll be willing to sacrifice for Him, whether that be time, energy, money, relationships, a career, or a million other things that could be put on the line. When you're willing to sacrifice, it shows God how serious you are about wanting to go deeper with Him. It shows Him how much you want of Him. It reveals your heart which is what he's looking for. The reason people hold back is because they only value having God in their life to a certain extent, and no more than that. They may not say that in their words, but it's clearly evident in their actions. But when a person goes wholeheartedly after God, forfeiting everything to him, that's the man who receives the most from God. He's willing to lose in order to find, and that's why he finds what he's searching for. Just like Abraham, who offered Isaac something he didn't want to do in the natural, God gave him the scapegoat that he wanted to take Isaac's place. He'll do the same for us, and he already has. When we show ourselves willing to sacrifice ourselves on the altar, sacrificing the natural side that we've grown so accustomed to, we'll find that we have a scapegoat too, and his name is Jesus. Sacrifice is the way to go deeper with God. It's sacrifice that opens the gates, that allows his spirit to flow into you, because you clear the space for him by getting rid of yourself and your thoughts and your desires. Paul says in Philippians 3 and 8, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. 
Having more of God is the ultimate purpose of our sacrifice. He's the prize. He's the gain. He's what we find. Sacrifice shows not only what we value, but also what we love, which is why it's an act of worship. It's an expression of these things, which is why agape, the truest form of love, is self-sacrificial love. Today we love and value having the Lord in our life, and we sacrificed our lives. That's why we're listening to this program today. But sacrifice isn't a one-time thing. It's a lifestyle. It's something that we have to continually do. And when we do, we'll see the Lord continually lead us deeper into the things of God. Let's close in prayer. Lord, today we thank you that just like Abraham foreshadowed long before, that you were willing to sacrifice your son on our behalf, to die the death that we should have died, and to pay the price that we couldn't pay. Lord, we thank you that he became our scapegoat, and that we're free today because of what he did on our behalf. Lord, today we thank you that you've put the desire within us to sacrifice ourselves on the altar before you, to present ourselves as an empty vessel so that you can fill us to overflowing with your Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you that you've given us your Spirit to lead us and to guide us into all truth so that we can continually go deeper and deeper with you and into the things of God. Lord, today we rebuke and resist all the fear that the devil and our carnal nature try to force upon us. Today we choose to act in faith, pushing past all those lies of the enemy. We know that he only tries to distract us with loss so that we won't see all the gain. And Lord, today we thank you for all the gain that's going to be a product of all the sacrifice that we've done and that we're going to enjoy that hundredfold return that you've promised will be ours. Lord, for all those around us who have yet to know you, Lord, today we proclaim that their eyes and their ears should be open, that they'll see their need to sacrifice to you. Lord, we thank you that they won't get caught up on what they feel like they're going to lose, but they'll see all that you promise that they're going to gain, a hundredfold eternal return, a life spent with you. And Lord, we give you all the honor, all the glory, and all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you want to sacrifice today and have Jesus as a part of your life today, all you need to do is to invite Jesus into your heart to be your personal Lord and Savior. You then need to repent of your sins and ask for his forgiveness. Then you trust that you've been forgiven and you ask for his free gift of eternal life. Now, if you've prayed this from a sincere heart and you truly meant it, then you are now a part of the family of God. Welcome to God's family. We want to thank everybody for listening today. We appreciate you taking out your time to spend with us. If you'd like to give us feedback, and tell us how much you appreciate this show. You can contact us at kingswordbiblestudy at gmail.com. If you'd like to learn more about this program and this ministry, you can visit kingswordbible.com. We appreciate also if you write a review from wherever you're listening to this podcast from, and if you follow and subscribe so that more people can hear the King's Word for themselves. God bless you. We want you to know that we love you all, and we will see you next week as we continue to study the King's Word together.